following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers and evildoers, adulterers or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I have. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified, or literally in the in the Greek, dikasune, rendered righteous before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Pastor Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I want to speak with you today about the publican. The publican is very much the position that I've taken and had to take. For I know the Apostle Paul says very plainly in Romans 
me see if I can find it for you quickly. Romans, the seventh chapter, verse 18. I know that nothing good lives in me. That is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? And then he gives this incredible answer. Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, chapter 8 of the book of Romans, Paul outlines for us the normal life of the converted man or woman who has finally been willing to go down there all the way to the bottom and acknowledge, as he did, that nothing good lives in you, that is, in your sinful nature. And many of you will fight with me to the death, protesting that you can never have your sinful nature removed. I know why. Let's be honest. If you're still walking at sin, it's because you love your sin. Oh, you may hate it, but you love it because you have not allowed Jesus Christ to deliver you from it. Listen to chapter 8. Therefore, what's the therefore in reference to? The deliverance of Jesus Christ. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And he condemned sin in sinful men in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Verse 13. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. That's not my word. That's the word of God. That's Romans, the eighth chapter. 
Paul had experienced the full deliverance of Jesus Christ in his life. He no longer walked according to the law of sin and death. He was delivered from the law of sin and death. So let's talk today about how we're going to be delivered from that law of sin and death. And I'm going to go back. I've read this to you many times, and some of you listened so many times. But please be patient with me and listen again. I don't mean to be controversial. But if you have not experienced what the Apostle Paul describes of being very clear in his heart that nothing good dwells in him, that is, in his sinful nature. If you've not come to that conclusion, if you have not faced that reality, you are not yet saved. If you're saved, what are you saved from? And what are you saved to? I have a glorious message for you today. That Jesus Christ came as that baby in the manger so that he could take on the sin of the world. And he died as an atonement for our sin. And he rose from that grave victorious. And now by his blood we have the power, the power to defeat all sin. If you don't believe that, You are denying the power of the blood of Jesus. You are denigrating the blood of Jesus. How can you be saved denigrating the blood of Jesus Christ? You cannot be. Bunyan, and the year was the 1600s. I'd say that was more than a few years ago. He was teaching the same thing I'm teaching. This book was published 1660. 1660. He wrote it in prison for preaching what I'm preaching. He says, as I walked through the wilderness of this world, I came to a certain place where there was a cave. I lay down in that place to sleep. As I slept, I dreamed a dream, and in this dream I saw a man clothed in rags, standing in a place with his face turned away from his own house. He had a book in his hand and a heavy burden upon his back. If you have not ever recognized the reality of being clothed in rags, if you've never come to an end of yourself, if you've never recognized the true condition of a sinner man's heart, if you've never known about the heavy burden on your back, then you are not saved. And you are lukewarm. And you are dying. I want you to enter into life today the most wonderful Christmas gift I can give to a man or a woman is the certainty that the power of the blood of Jesus can break all bondage in your life. What an awesome gift 
Thanks be to Jesus. I, I looked and I saw him open the book and he began to read. And as he read, he wept and he trembled. Not being able to contain himself, he cried out in a loud voice, What shall I do? What shall I do? Have you, have you done this? Have you wept over your sin? Have you trembled over your condition before a holy God? Have you recognized the wickedness of your own soul as you have pursued your own life and your own interests and tried to add Jesus to an already full life? Have you ever been stripped down to the bottom where you finally are willing to acknowledge there is no good thing dwelling in you? That's what Bunyan is teaching. Dear wife and children, I'm greatly troubled by this burden that torments me and grows and weighs so heavily upon me. Moreover, I have received information that the city in which we live will be burned with fire from heaven. When this happens, all of us will be destroyed unless by a way I do not as yet see some way of escape can be found so that we may be delivered. In other words, this worldly world, this place of compromise, this place of walking in sin but claiming to be a Christian, that world is going to burn. And if you're still in it, you will burn with it. That's what Bunyan is saying. And they thought that he'd lost his mind. They said he was going crazy. They became very cold toward him. They treated him rudely. Or they just ignored him. Frankly, that's how some of you have treated me. Rudely, cold, or just ignore Pastor Ray on Pilgrim's Progress. And you come back because you know there's something here that you need to hear and get a hold of so you can walk clean before God. I pray, I praise God you're back, you're listening. He would retire to his private room and he would pray. Try to find consolation for his misery. Oh, how often I've had to do that. And then I'd read the book. What shall I do to be saved? And finally, Evangelist comes to him. Listen to what Evangelist says to him. This evangelist was a true evangelist he said why are you not willing to die since this life is attended with so many evils the man answered because i'm afraid that this burden that is on my back will sink me lower than the grave and i shall fall into hell are you afraid you're going to fall into hell have you compromised your life you're walking in sin and you're comfortable in it you have attitudes of bitterness and anger resentment Someone speaks to you in a way that makes you uncomfortable. You get angry. You cut people off with sharp words of condemnation. Or you just ignore people and put them in the refrigerator. You're cold and hard toward them. You should be afraid you're going to fall into hell. And sir, continued the man, I'm not ready to die. I'm not prepared to go to judgment and from there to execution. 
Thinking about these things distresses me greatly. I have to ask you, are you ready to die today? Are you prepared to go to the judgment seat of Christ and there face the execution that will surely come upon you according to Romans, the 8th chapter, if you're still walking in wickedness before God? Have you come to your senses and felt the heavy burden on your back, or have you just blown it off? The evangelist says, Do you see that narrow gate? No, the man replied. Do you see that distant shining light? Well, I think I do. Well, keep that light in your eye and go up directly toward it, and soon you will see the narrow gate, and when you finally come to the gate, knock, and you will be told what to do. And I saw in my dream that the man began to run. Now a man follows him by the name of Pliable. And Pliable has no burden on his back. He does, but he's unconscious of it. He too walks in rebellion and sin against God, but he's comfortable in his rebellion. He's comfortable in his sin. He says, I can't do anything else. This is just who I am. God's going to have to accept me the way I am. I never can leave my sin, and so I've just become accustomed to it. I do the best I can. That's pliable. Pliable was lost. Now we come to this publican. And now you have clearly in your face what it means to walk as a human being in wickedness and sin. This publican comes. He was simply justifying God in his confession an admission that what God said of him was absolutely true. Perhaps like the Pharisee, he used to not believe that what God said about man was really true of him, but the Holy Spirit had shown him things in his life which proved God right, and he is utterly humbled. He's broken, he's humble. And he justifies God in all that he is saying. He also is justifying God for all the judgments that have come against him. Remember Nehemiah's prayer? Howbeit thou art just in all that is brought upon us, for thou hast done right, but we have done wickedly. Nehemiah 9.33 This is the very essence of of a true confession of sin, of true brokenness before God. It's the confession that my sin is not just a mistake. It's not just a slip. Something which is really foreign to me. I'm I'm not really like that. It shows me as the proud, rotten, unclean thing God says I am. That it really is like me to have such thoughts and to do such things. This is how David confessed his sin. Remember Psalm 
51, verse 4. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Okay, let's face it. If you still run your life, if you're still in charge of your schedule, if you have never come before the Lord and felt the heavy burden of sin upon your back, if you received Jesus and said, oh yes, I'll receive this wonderful gift of Jesus, and then you went smiling back down the aisle, no tears, no no deep brokenness of heart, then you have really said that God is a liar. That what he has said about you in the book of Romans, the third chapter, nothing good, no one who seeks the Lord, then you're saying that God is a liar. And you can have your form of Christianity, you can have your form of religion, and you can go through all the steps and take the Eucharist or go to the communion table every Sunday. Make your little confession every Sunday that you're a sinner before God. There's no redemption there for you. There is only redemption when I'm finally willing to be honest with God about who I really am. when all of the illusions are stripped away, when all of the busyness is put aside, and I come before a holy and mighty God, and I say, O righteous, just, and mighty God, ruler of heaven and earth, will you show me my true condition? When I was in college, there was a very popular television preacher. This man came and spoke at our college, a Christian college. I didn't like this man very much because it was obvious to everyone that he was very much in love with himself. He was smooth and articulate in every respect and very much aware of how good he was. And this man was the designated speaker, and as I sat in my assigned seat at this chapel service, I groaned and said, Oh no, I don't want to hear this man. But he stood up, and he said, I have... I have been filled with darkness and sin. He stood up and began to apologize and repent. There was no self-assurance now. There was only total humility. And he stood before us with tears running down his face, saying that sometime earlier, he had prayed, O oh God, show me the true condition of my heart. 
And he said, God showed me my heart. And I was so broken, I've been off the television. I haven't been preaching on the air. This is the first time for many weeks. And I came to ask your forgiveness for my pride and my arrogance. I sat there with tears running down my face because his confession of his arrogance broke my heart for I knew how arrogant I was toward him. My response toward him was an inappropriate response. It was a, it was a prideful, I know who you are, mister, and I don't respect you. It was a scornful spirit. It wasn't a brokenness and a prayer for this dear man. It's a dangerous thing to ask God to show you who you really are. If you ask God to really show you who you are, you'll begin to see that you insist on having your way. And if anyone steps in the way of you getting what you want, you will trample them in the dust and criticize and castigate them. How dare you stand in my way? I want to do this, and you don't have a right to stop me. Oh, we will go through all kinds of contortions as pride lifts its ugly head and causes brokenness and sorrow. No, it's time we stop and ask God to show us who we really are. To show us our true condition. Have you done this? I have, and I have recognized that No good thing dwells in me, in my flesh. And I have no more possibility of preaching and bringing revival to Washington, D.C. than the man in the moon. Unless the Holy Spirit comes upon me in power, there's no way I can do anything. And so I come today humble of heart and confession, recognizing my utter brokenness before God. Recognizing that much in me has risen up over the years and defended myself and made it somebody else's problem. Fought for my own right, regardless of who I hurt. I look back and I see through the years, particularly as a young pastor, very gifted and talented, popular, where I used that to hurt other men in the ministry, to put them down, to have supremacy over them. It breaks my heart. How could I have been so ugly? Well, I have to recognize That was who I was in the flesh, under the law of sin and death. Self-serving, self-promotion, self-concerned. 
I was right. They were wrong. I had the right opportunity. I was going to take it with gusto and go for it and be a great success. How wicked, how evil, how unlike Jesus. How unlike Jesus. Nowhere in the New Testament do I find Jesus or any of the apostles after Pentecost lifting themselves up and making themselves out to be something. No, when Paul went to Corinth, what did he say? I came in fear and trembling. Paul was not impressed with Paul. And I have to say, I've had to recognize and own how impressed I have been through the years with me. Today I am not impressed by me. I'll tell you what I am impressed by. The love and the kindness and the mercy and the humility of my Lord Jesus. I am astonished at the humility of God. I tremble when I see what some people write to me and to, and to say to me in their pride and arrogance. I give it to Jesus and I say, Oh Lord, have mercy. Have mercy upon them. Have mercy, O oh God. That's me also. Lord, have mercy upon me. You see, when we declare that God is right about us, when we come to a new experience of absolute humility in Jesus, we know there's nothing good dwelling in us except Jesus. It comes to a place where we are no longer trying to dress up the incorrigible self of ugly pride and arrogance. And we then begin to take Jesus as our holiness. And we lift him up. But this publican did something more than simply justify God and say, Yes, you're right in what you're saying about me. He pointed to the sacrifice on the altar and he found peace with God by being cleansed from his sin as he did so. This comes out in the literal meaning of the words which he uttered. He said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. In the Greek, the words merciful literally means atone for. Be my atonement, Jesus. Oh God, be merciful. Be my atonement. The only way in which a Jewish person knew that God could be his atonement was by the sacrifice 
the very hour the lamb for the daily burnt offering was being offered up on the altar in the temple. That's when this man was praying. With us, it's the same. A man never comes to this position of brokenness, but that God shows him the divine lamb on Calvary's cross, putting away his sin by the shedding of his blood. The God who declares beforehand what we are, proves beforehand that we are utter sinners, wicked, broken. He provides for our sin by the atoning Lamb, Jesus, who was slain for your sin and for my sin. Ah, from the foundation of the world he was slain. In him who bore them in meekness, my sins are finished. And as I in true brokenness confess them and put my faith in his blood, I am cleansed and my sins are gone. Peace with God comes into my heart. Fellowship with God is immediately restored. And I walk with him in white. This simple way of being willing to justify God and see the power of the blood to cleanse brings within our reach as never before that intimate closeness with Jesus Christ. It opens the possibility of a constant dwelling with him in the Holy of Holies. As we walk with him in the light, He will be showing us all the things that he has wiped away. He will give us healing and restoration from every flaw of our life, from every sin that we have walked in, every expression of that old proud self for which God has nothing but judgment. At no point can a Christian protest his innocence in what he shows us. All along we must be willing to justify him and say, You're right, Lord. That just shows what I am and be willing to give it to him for cleansing. And we do so. And as we do so, we find that his precious blood is continually cleansing us from all sin. Mr. Producer, are you there? Hello, Jamal. Would you play this song for us, Washed in the Blood? It's on page one. First song, I think. Did you find it? Yep. Thank you.
been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His graces? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you washed? Are you washed in the blood? In the blood, in the soul cleansing blood of the Lamb. Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Lay aside the garments that are stained with sin And be washed in the blood of the Lamb There's a fountain flowing for the soul unclean Oh, be washed in the blood of the Lamb Are you washed? Are you washed? In the blood In the blood In the soul cleansing blood of the Lamb Are your garments spotless? Are they white as are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Some glad morning when this life is over I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore I'll fly away in the blood I'll fly away that is the joy that we have in Jesus Christ but it does not come until we've been utterly broken and if you hear this song and somehow interpret this song to mean that you're going to fly away in the midst of your sin you have deceived yourself 
It's so easy to listen to music and take it as an assurance that we're saved. That music is only for those who have fully had the burden of sin recognized and removed from their backs and now in humility walk not self-righteous, not confident in your own righteousness, but broken before God. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all that I get. While the tax collector stood at a distance, he would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast, and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Which one describes your walk in Jesus? If you're the Pharisee, you will not enter the kingdom of God. You will not enter the kingdom of God. He said, I tell you, this man rather than the other went home made righteous before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbled himself will be exalted. Have you humbled yourself before God? Have you confessed that you are responsible for all sin in your heart? That you are responsible. No one can make you angry. You alone are responsible for making yourself angry. You alone are responsible for making yourself bitter. You alone are responsible for making yourself depressed and discouraged and filled with fear. You alone are responsible for how your life is before a holy God. And you must confess and repent and turn from it and recognize that there's no good thing dwelling in you. And your only cry is, God, be my atonement. Be my atoning lamb. I trust you, Jesus. Put away my sin. I put it away. I repent of it. I confess it. I am not worthy to stand before you, Jesus. You see, the Pharisee could castigate, he could criticize, he could cast out, he could cut off, he could make his accusations and his judgments. All the public could do is confess and be broken before a holy God. Let's pray. Almighty God, I confess that I have very often been the Pharisee, filled with my own self, my own justifications, my own excuses. Lord, now all I can do is stand afar off and say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. All I can do, Lord, is stand afar off and say, O oh God, let your atoning blood wash me and cleanse me every moment of every day. I have no life, Jesus, any longer outside of you. You alone are my life.
live or die. Revival or deadness. Lord, whatever you choose, I will only receive from your hand what you choose to give to me. My eyes are upon you, Jesus. You have been gracious, long-suffering, merciful, kind. You have carried me as you promised you would carry me. And I wait upon you, Lord, as a servant waits upon their master. I know you want to do something in this city, something awesome, something incredible to save the lost of this great city. For you were concerned about Nineveh. Surely you are concerned about this great city. Surely you are concerned about Donald Trump. Surely you're concerned about our congressmen and women and our senators. Surely you're concerned about this great city of Washington. Lord, I know only you can move to release the power to turn this city from utter destruction. And I confess I have no power to do that. I have no human ability that can accomplish that. Lord, I know it's either by your power or it's not going to happen. Over and over in the Old Testament, the power of the Holy Spirit came upon a man or a woman or a group of men and women and you released your spirit and the nation was delivered in repentance and sorrow for their sin and they turned back to you and you redeemed them and you saved them and you turned aside your judgment from them. Oh God, Jesus, would you turn aside your judgment from America? I plead today for Donald Trump. I plead your mercy and your grace. I plead your strength and your courage. I plead your direction in his decision-making. Lord, I do the same for our Congress and our Senate. I do the same for the business leaders of this city, for the pastors of this city. Lord, I cry out for your mercy for Washington, D.C., This entire metro area stands under the judgment of a great cataclysmic destruction if we do not repent. Lord, I come pleading your mercy today. Lord, I weep over this city even as I have wept over my own sin. And I recognize that there's no good thing that dwells in me or in this city, if it is not of you, Jesus. Lord, some of my precious listeners are filled with pride in their hearts and self-defense, and they've not liked this message today. Lord, would you do your gracious work of redemption in their heart? Will you come with power? Would you bring the gift of humility and brokenness? Would you, Lord, among those precious men and women who are now listening to this broadcast, will you touch them with your Holy Spirit? 
Oh, Lord, will you, will you touch with your Holy Spirit? Will you bring conviction of sin and break this lukewarmness? Will you break this coldness, this love of darkness, this love of sin? Will you break it in the name of Jesus? Lord, every man, every woman seems to have their own plans, their own timetables, their own schedules, their own busyness. As we rush toward judgment, when all of those things will become unimportant and inconsequential. Oh Lord, if you don't come and save this city, surely even as you said to Nineveh, in 40 days you will be destroyed. Surely this great city of Washington will likewise be destroyed if there is not a great turning to you in repentance and humility. Lord, I don't know what the timetable is for the destruction and the judgment you will bring upon this city and this nation. That's in your hands alone. But I've read the scriptures, and I know that if you don't bring judgment on this city, you will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah, for we are more wicked than Sodom and Gomorrah ever imagined to be. Lord, would you come in mighty power? Will you deal with the darkness of this city? You see the darkness of our president. You see the darkness of our political leaders, of the media. You see the darkness and the bent toward evil. I'm asking, Lord, for your mercy. You see the darkness, the pride and the arrogance of those who listen to this broadcast. You see how many fight for their own way, for their own agenda, for their own decision-making. Lord, and they get angry when they don't get their way. Lord, you see all things. I'm praying, Lord, for the gift of tears for this city. Lord, Nineveh put on sackcloth and ashes, and they wept before you. And you relented in your judgment and did not destroy them. Lord, would you bring sackcloth and ashes to Washington, D.C., to the White House, to the Congress? both to the House of Representatives and to the Senate, to the Governor. Lord, would you bring repentance to this city? Would you stop the commerce and the busyness of this city and cause this city to bow in humble repentance before you that the nations would be astonished at what can happen when the power and presence of God comes. Lord, would you turn this city back to yourself? I plead your mercy. I plead for humility in the pastors of this city. 
I plead for tears and brokenness over the sin of the congregation. Lord, I plead your mercy. Be an atonement for us, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. I'd like to hear from you, please. Write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. The only way I can continue doing this broadcast next month is through your offering your tithes. Would you respond? I trust God to move in your heart. Write to me, the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. You can also give online, and I praise God for each of you who has given. Go to nationalprayerchapel.com and just click on the donate button. You can hear this whole series of messages that I've been doing based on the book, The Calvary Road by Roy Hessen. God bless you, my dear brother. Merry Christmas. I pray the presence of God in you and your family as you humble your heart before Almighty God. I'll talk to you soon. Before the presence of His glory with great joy with great